my land Take me where I cannot stand I don't care, I'm still free You can't take the sky from me Welcome back to the Real World Podcast. Firefly now, Serenity later. What else would it be right now? There's no huge movies to interrupt us yet. We may actually complete a full one of these mini-series without actually having to stop and talk about something completely different. So, more Firefly. And later, some Serenity. <laughs> uh, this week, we will be talking about the two episodes, War Stories and Trash. Which, you know, uh, we, we've been coming off some some pretty good sort of one-two punches the last few weeks. And I'd, I'd say that that tradition continues here. What, what says you, Mike Thomas, about the, as a package, these two? I'd say it's more of a trend that continues in a tradition. But, you know, it's, uh, okay. you know, we don't need to quibble over word choice in front of uh, our friends and uh and family, uh, which of course is, that's exactly what our listeners are. Um, <laughs> yeah, people who pity I, us. I mean, granted, the order in which we're doing it is not exactly arbitrary, but the way we pair them up is I mean, essentially meaningless. But this is definitely the second strongest duo of episodes we've watched after uh, the Ariel out of gas combo. It is this is like it's Firefly fa- firing on all cylinders. They are they know what they are. They know what they do well, and now they're executing it very, very well, and very, very early in the show's run. Sadly, also very late in the show's run. But <laughs> yeah, they uh, they hit a stride. Like it feels like they've settled in. They know what the, everything is. They work the kinks out. This is just them making good content. Uh, so let's start with War Stories, uh, which was intended to be episode ten, aired as episode nine. Pretty close. Written by Cheryl Kane, directed by James Contner. Odd name, again. Lots of odd names making Firefly. Uh, so this one features... I mean, both of these, what they have in common is they feature the return of a uh, of a guest character, which is a rarity, so to get two in a row, is serendipitous, I would say. Uh, this time, we are dealing with Niska, who you may remember from The Train Job, who is a uh, very nasty uh, Czech, as in Czechoslovakian, crime boss who hired them, and they uh, they went back on the deal. So he holds a grudge. And uh, after discovering where Serenity is, uh, he sends some of his people to capture Mal and Wash while they're trying to sell some of the drugs that they got from Ariel. Continuity. Uh, so while they're being tortured and they confront each other with some harsh truths about Zoe, which we will talk about at length, um, Zoe shows up to try and pay Nisker off to make good on them screwing him over. But he only lets her have one of them. She chooses her husband, Wash. He then cuts off Mal's ear because he's a bad motherfucker. Um, the crew lead a massive assault on Niska's station. The most actiony thing that happens in all of Firefly, I would say. Book proves to be quite capable in a firefight. Simon and Kaylee less so. And uh, River actually saves Kaylee while no one else is watching and kills three dudes and says some very cool stuff. We will be talking about that. Uh, they save Mal, reattaches here, Niska's still alive, tensions have settled. The end. Uh, big fan of War Stories, personally. Um, very action-y plot. Some, some really good stuff, like uh, delving beneath what has been a given up until now, like getting into some inter-character relationships. They even... I mean, our common complaint is nothing's happening with Book and River, and you get some pretty cool moments from both of them, like as close to payoffs as we're going to get in the 
in the show. For books, certainly. River kind of has a... I don't know, it's between this and, and what's going to happen at the end. But yeah, in terms of that, in terms of the action and, and that kind of stuff, huge, huge fan. Yeah, it's um, definitely in that top half. We we keep, we keep teasing. Um, it's basically like, everything's right in the top half, and there's two episodes yes. in the bottom half. <laughs> it's basically just like Shindig and the other one coming up whose name I've forgotten. <laughs> uh, like those two are definitely not in the top half. Bushwhacked, also not in the top half. Mm. Everything else is in the top half. But I really think that more just speaks to the strength of the show in general at this point. Safe, um, not in the top half. Definitely not. And I, you know, like I said, it's just... It's an episode that just shows the show firing all cylinders. Uh, you really understand who these characters are by this point. They take full advantage of that. Everything that happens makes sense, basically. The logistics of Niska getting away. I mean, I guess, like, I don't know. Maybe I should just rewatch, like, that sequence. I don't quite, I didn't, like, quite follow it. It's I very there to chaotic. Like, <laughs> yeah, I expected there it to be clear how he got away. That's just how I remembered it, but they... It's like they just like cut away and all of a sudden he's gone and there's a throwaway line at the end saying, oh, we should have killed him. And he, as, as I said, he's one of the few characters that gets to come back. Uh, yeah. do, you, do you think he justified a return appearance? I thought he was a pretty oh, yeah. like, menacing figure in the first one. And oh, yeah. They one crank sure. it right up here. <laughs> I mean, one, he definitely um, does for sure. And I think like they were proud. I don't know what they, I don't know what they were setting him up for but i think based on his first two appearances you kind of set him up for like a, a big two-parter once you kill him off later on because there's really nowhere you can go with him he's not a character you can redeem in any way like saffron could be you could there's a tiny path of redemption that can at least be teased or explored or maybe even really go further with but this guy's really just like you know what at the end of the day this dude is a pretty sick evil dude who's just super charismatic and um that unfortunately is not the type of thing that lends itself to long, continuous plot lines. No. But, uh, yeah, he's uh, he's quite fun in the role. They use him very well. They don't overdo it with him. They have a, a very, very adorable opening bit with him and uh, Book. <laughs> yeah. Uh, preaching, or not preaching, but... Uh, Quoting. Explaining, pontificating on the works of uh, Shang Tzu. Well, right. the subtitles and from how they're saying it are Shan Yu. I assumed they were talking about Sanzu. Maybe it's some sort of like bastardization of what he's actually called and it is the same person. I don't know, but the subtitles very clearly say Shan Yu. I can consult the actual script, which I have to hand. Yeah. Shan Yu. Shan Yu says the official, the actual script. So who knows what's going on there? But yeah, like you said. I, I do really like that mirroring of Book talking to Simon about it as a way of trying to sort of communicate with him about River and, and, and be a shepherd and sort of offer annoying but helpful advice in a way. And then it also helps with the, you know, the clear thing of Book didn't or wasn't always a shepherd. He was probably a bad man. And Niska is quoting or talking about the same exact thing. And I think, actually, in Niska's first appearance, Shepard knew who he, who he was. That sounds correct. Yeah. It's just a nice way of, of sort of tying the two together. Like, you say something about Book, you kind of say something about Simon, and you also reintroduce a villain and tie things together. It's well written. Yeah, I actually really liked Simon's response being like... Uh... Yeah, like sadism uh, wrapped around in flowery length. Like, it's not exactly what he said, but basically, mm. I think really kind of calling out uh, definitely a segment of a population that can kind of romanticize, like, beautiful evil, quote-unquote. Like, 
Isn't... And I thought that was kind of a yeah. nice beat for Simon to get the play. Definitely. Uh, I like that little that little scene. Like he's being he's like needling him a little bit, but it's it's just enough like in a good place that it fits with book. He does that a bit. Like he likes to go to characters and kind of annoy them into helping them. <laughs> good little episode for book generally, I would say. I found watching it is that you feel like he's definitely holding back still. I mean, like, is that self-imposed? Like, what? Oh, oh, oh right, we don't know. We'll, and we'll never know. <laughs> we'll never uh, know. But, uh, yeah, it's very... I, t- I think he's definitely just the most tragic in terms of, wow, yeah. we never really even came close to scratching the surface with him. Yeah. Like, it's just, like, it's just an impression of what was going to be there. Yeah. But, um, yeah. It, it starts off pretty subtle, like, uh, the matching the same Shan Yu quotes as Niska and then you get little little character moments like um Anara has a client come aboard and everyone's very excited to see who it is and uh Kaylee and Jane are sort of waiting and and sort of desperate to get a peek and Book scolds and uh Kaylee for being nosy but then when she says here they are Book's like ears prick up a little bit like he's he's he can't help but betray his sort of true nature as it were uh and it goes from subtle to you know, he's going to the scene of an ambush and, like, expertly assessing what happened there. And then by the end, he's he's shooting people. <laughs> so he says, uh, isn't the Bible quite uh, pretty specific about killing people? And he says, quite specific, but it's somewhat fuzzier about kneecaps. And, uh, yeah, he proceeds to shoot a lot of dudes in the knee and other places. I don't know if he actually kills anyone, but he certainly puts a lot of bullets in a lot of people. Uh, and you get sort of Zoe... Uh, Jane and Book all shooting people together, and it's it's pretty crazy. Um, like at the beginning of the show, I'm I'm pretty sure you wouldn't have called that this is what he would be doing before the end of the season, even if it is incredibly frustrating that we will never know more than this. That's right. I'll leave it dead until you say something. I know the dad. That's why. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so, moving on from Book, let's talk about. I mean, the the real driving force of this episode is addressing the dynamic between Mal and Zoe and Wash. It's something that the network uh, infamously wanted. They they didn't approve of Zoe and Wash being married because they wanted uh, Mal and Zoe to have some kind of Sam and Diane type thing, which is crazy. And um, this this may have been just this sort of protest to that notion to be like, well, if you want to talk about it, let's talk about it and make it a bit ridiculous. And it's also, I think this is the most we ever get into the Zoe and Wash uh, dynamic, like what's really going on there. Like we see plenty of examples of them being very nice to each other and and very honest with each other. And then in this one, it's it's different. <laughs> we see sort of below the surface a bit. I mean, it's a it's a complicated triangle to deal with. I've kind of broken it down into the Zoe and Wash moments, and then the Mal and Wash moments, and then there's a little bit of Mal and Zoe. I don't know, but starting with Zoe and Wash, it all starts with them arguing about a plan that Wash had that uh, Mal turned down. And he's sort of arguing that, you know, did Zoe fight his case? Does she agree with Mal? And that, of course, sort of bleeds into him accusing Zoe of always doing everything Mal says. And that is kind of what we've seen so far from Zoe. She will occasionally call him out, but in front of everyone else, she just toes the line and and is the the loyal number two to kind of rally the troops. 
Uh, we only ever see her disagreeing with Mal in private, I think. Uh, and it, it is an interesting sort of, you know, accusation to throw at her. Uh, because, you know, that because that's everything we've seen so far. And I, I've, I actually find it, while that is good, something I find a bit problematic is, Zoe says the line of, because that's what this marriage needs, one more shouting match. We haven't actually really seen them shout at each other. Like, they disagreed over Saffron, and I think they... They had a minor spat about how much time they get to spend together, but really, they we haven't really seen much of that. And I mean, I, I like it because it's realistic, and like I like when shows kind of continue when we're not watching in a way. Like Community did that a lot. You'd have these revelations that came out that you know occurred between episodes, as it were, and like these people are living their everyday lives and we're not looking at them for thirty minutes. Uh, so I like stuff like that, but it is a bit like I don't know. You, you'd maybe have wanted to see them fight. I don't know. I I could go back and forth on that. You know, I think it's one of those marriages that over a longer period of time would have become to see has been like a really powerful marriage on screen. And I think it's mostly just a marriage we get to hear about as opposed to see, mm-hmm. which is kind of unfortunate. Because I think we we know that there's a deep connection there. We know there's lots of obvious entry points of conflict, though, just based on the dynamic that they have to work together. I mean, that's kind of like not something that's really talked about in quite those terms on the show, but like actually working with your partner is an incredibly dicey proposition as it is. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's really, it, once again, I think it's just one of those things where it's just like, you feel shortchanged on it overall, which is unfortunate. And actually much like book, the movie explores it, but doesn't really give it a ton. And actually I think kind of takes a little, a few shorts, uh, a few shortcuts within the movie, but maybe, I'll change my mind upon seeing it again for the first time in a few years. But, uh, yeah, it's... They they draw... Uh, this is what I'll say about the, the portrayal of the marriage on the screen, is that it's so powerful and so obvious just based on the chemistry that those two actors have. But And they can easily draw from that and take shortcuts as a result. But it would be nice to actually explore it a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, so this disagreement and also uh, Wash being jealous that the two of them go way back, and they have all these war stories, hence the title, War Stories. Uh, he kind of petulantly forces his way into the the drop-off uh, of the drugs. Uh, he replaces Zoe, so it's, it's Mal and Wash going to do it. And that leads to the two of them bickering with each other, Mal saying some quite funny stuff, not wanting to get in the middle of their nonsense, but also not wanting to abide it at all. And then when they're being... When they're captured together, Wash is being insistent on, you know, doing everything Zoe would do, and he he, he just talks a lot and, he, and he's very Wash, while Mal gets quite annoyed at him, which is pretty funny. Uh, but more importantly, while they're being tortured, and just before, really, they start really getting into it with Wash daring to ask the question, essentially, has anything happened between Mal and Zoe? And they they tell a lot of truths here, where um, like Mal with the the body blow of I don't think you're good enough for Zoe, and how you know she she doesn't do everything I tell her because I told her not to marry you, and like these are these are some quite harsh things to hear when, as far as we can tell, I mean Zoe's probably Mal's best friend, but in terms of male best friends, Wash is probably Mal's best friend, and for him to say these things to him is is pretty extreme. Uh, I would say, but 
you know, it's all very tricky. Like, these two do clearly go way back, uh, Mal and Zoe, so you can kind of understand Mal's sort of protectiveness of her, but then, you know, his overbearing nature, like, if, if Wash makes her happy, who is he to say no? And Wash is also talking about how, <laughs> like, love, honour, and obey, and Zoe doesn't obey him, but she obeys Mal, and all this... It's quite hashtag problematic, in my opinion. But I don't, I don't know. Like, what do, you, what do you feel on this issue? It's tricky. It's, I think, yeah. I think it's a very Wash's reaction to everything is very human mm-hmm. and very realistic. It sucks that once again we just really never got the story of their marriage through Zoe's perspective. Yeah, and really. We really don't get much from Zoe's perspective. I think this was kind of our last big shot at that. We'll have it a little bit in the next episode, but this is really Zoe's last big episode. And it might be, is there really, it's possibly her only big episode. Yeah. And it's not even really about her. No, it's, it's, not told, <laughs> yeah. it's not told through her perspective. Um, and that's a real testament to the work that Gina Torres does in general that, you know, you see Gina Torres as the second, you know, name in the credits. And I can't imagine anyone would blink about that but i mean she really never gets a focus episode and no. um everyone else really does i mean like saffron essentially gets two focus <laughs> yeah. episodes where you really get to understand her to a degree yeah. river gets um, a movie <laughs> yeah and it's interesting it's interesting though that there with book there's that sense of and because there's such a mythology that's tied into book's character you feel like you missed out on more and you kind of like, it's natural to just think, wow, they really blew it with book. I don't think they blew it with Zoe, but they really, once again, you really just kind of scratch the surface of what makes Zoe tick. Yeah. And if they were going to gradually give more time to book and river, where was the time going to come for people like Zoe, you know? Yeah. And (sighs) it just feels like she was much like her character in a sense, like within the, the confines of the show, such a reliable person that you don't need to really worry about them. Like the way the character worked as a, like from a showrunner's perspective, such a reliable character, just a steady presence that you didn't really need to focus on them. That's a shame. It is. And then when you combine that with the fact that her character basically exists to support Mal in public, (laughs) you know, it's weird. Like when you, when I tried to describe her in previous episodes, like, right, who is Zoe? Like if you actually bullet point that, it doesn't sound all that compelling, and yet it is a fond, fondly remembered character that people like. I guess it just speaks to the test. Uh, it's just a testament to Gina Torres being a likable, charismatic actress <laughs> that she could get something out of this material and sort of pick her spots where they're given. But hey, so that torture scene. It's great that they're completely ignoring the fact they're being tortured in a way. And they're just having this this dispute while Niska's looking on, like, kind of perplexed. But during this, it also tells you a lot about Mal, in that you come to realise he's doing it. Like, he's picking a fight with Wash on purpose because he wants to u- he wants to make him angry because that will sort of help him steer into the pain kind of thing and not sort of succumb and to, to the torture. And Mal, not really concerned about himself... Which Wash says when uh, Zoe instantly picks him when given the choice of which one she's going to save. And you can argue that maybe she picked Wash because he wouldn't have lasted alone. 
or just undying love for the husband, both valid, I would say. Uh, Wash remarks on how the torture experience like told him a lot about Mal and like how Zoe had said how he'd saved all these people in the war, but like him witnessing it firsthand that Mal is the kind of person that will put others above himself. You know, it, it's it's. Mal gets good stuff and good development in every single episode. Uh, I'd say bar none. And even if he's, like, the third focus character or fourth or something, he still finds his moments. And I think, you know, using that, that is, in theory, more about Wash and Zoe, uh, it's it's just good. Like, being able to always inform us about Mal. I think what's becoming um, increasingly clear on this watch is that while this is an ensemble show the top tier characters is Mal, and then you have to go a couple tiers below to get to any anybody else. And, <laughs> and it's I probably like River after that and Jane. <laughs> um, and that's kind of shocking on rewatch uh, to kind see. Of. Really, this is a show centered around Mal in a way that I did not fully appreciate before. Hmm. Well, people love Mal. Like They talk about Captain Reynolds <laughs> with, with hushed tones. Oh. And I think what Joss Reedon wrote is that this is like, like he felt a really strong, I don't know, connection is the right word, but like he just, it sounds like writing for Mal was very, very easy or something that he just yeah. channeled well, his talents very well. He's a tortured soul, isn't he? I, I love Mal. Mal's one of my favorite characters ever. I, I think he's such a sort of romantic, tortured, tragic character. Maybe it's sort of. It, it's kind of one note, and maybe that note isn't for everyone, but I, I personally, in the way that Joss does, identify with it on some level, where it hits me all of all of who he is. So, when Mal is left to be tortured, we get uh, the delightful scene where um, Wash is now thinking he's Captain Gung-Ho, and he's, he's all, you know, people like us do this, and he's in his vest, gearing up, strapping ammo to himself, picking up all the guns, and like seeing Wash and Zoe getting ready to go fight together is, is quite sweet. And just, I, I like that Wash now thinks he's an action hero because, because he lived through this experience. And, like, having the entire crew together and Mal somewhere else, I mean, we saw it a little bit uh, without gas, but it was reversed where we saw Mal and the others were missing. In this instance, you see the entire crew together, Mal missing. And I like, I really like the touch that they exclusively, I think, call him the captain in in this uh, sort of time of need. And uh, seeing them all sort of rally around to go rescue him, it's it makes good on all of the times where he put them before himself and like went to such extreme measures to save them, was willing to be a dick in order to get them all through it. Uh, that all pays off when you see them all, like even Simon, even Kaylee, picking up a gun, ready to go. Jane, to some of their surprise, I guess, because he's so money motivated and he and Mal have fallen out a lot. But when you consider that Mal let him live one episode ago, kind of makes sense. But you know, he goes to get Vera and he's ready to go, uh, to go save Mal. Yeah, and. Um, Oh, I uh, <laughs> I really like the moment where um, they're sort of saying, right, let's go save him. And then it cuts to the torturer declaring Mal dead. And then we go to commercial break. <laughs> That's just a great sort of bit of timing. Obviously, he's, you know, they bring him back to life. Uh, you know, restart his heart. Um, but it's it's just a funny piece of, you know, let's go save him. He's dead. Um, yeah, so during the uh, the, the action-packed, rescue of Mal. 
the big thing here is River, who, um, you know, she's she's always sort of left behind and, and sort of kept safe because she's so frail and she's been through so much. And what she does here is when Kaylee retreats, lacking the confidence to attempt to shoot these people and finds herself being approached by three dudes, uh, River takes the gun off her and without even looking, shoots three dudes dead immediately and then says, ain't no power in the verse that can stop me. Which juxtaposes was when earlier in the episode, she and Kaylee were running around like children and uh, when Kaylee managed to get an apple River had stolen back off her, she said those words. And for me, this is the coolest fucking moment in the whole show. Like, finally seeing River do something uh, and be a badass and then say something cool and then also be, you know, revert immediately back to this sort of a perpetual child. Like, I actually don't know how old River's meant to be. I assume teenage, but she's treated like a child. I think uh, high school. Okay. Probably like 17 to 18. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, such, such a cool moment. It's sort of triumphant if you've been sort of waiting for like anything to pay off with, with River whatsoever. And I love the way Kaylee really sells it at the end of the episode where... Because she's the only one that saw this happen. And everyone's sort of celebrating the job well done at the end. And sort of Kaylee like can't meet River's gaze almost. Like she won't look at her. <laughs> it, like it really sells like that this would be kind of a terrifying thing to see. Like getting a glimpse into what River can do. But just overall that entire like sequence awesome yeah it's um with river obviously it was a it seemed like a much more planned long con with book it seems kind of like random to me it's like (laughs) i don't with river it's like you can see them like sprinkling more and more and more and then building to what was presumably going to be the big season two thing of fully fleshing out what happened to her and who she is and what she can do yeah i feel like they had like a one they had, like, a pitch on book. Like, oh, he's actually going to be something else. But they didn't really have, like, a... And we'll slowly get to here. They just were like, well, we'll play with that as and when. And with that, it feels almost like more... Con- it's, like, convenience. Like, oh, you need someone to explain <laughs> yeah. what just happened here? Uh, sure, book knows all about it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, which is fine. Yeah. It's, it's not that that's bad. It's more just, I think, the contrast of the two of them kind of seems... is interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah. One of the sort of few critiques I would have of this episode, and it's kind of a critique of anything that ever does this. So when they're all going to rescue Mal, like, why wouldn't this good just immediately kill Mal the second, like, trouble starts? Like, <laughs> I, it, this, is, this happens in all sorts of things. Like, just kill the person. Or, you know, create, like, a hostage situation yeah. or something... Stand down or I kill him immediately. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that's, yeah. I think that's just, you know, we've got 40 minutes and we're going to spend a lot of them not doing this firefight. We need to get through this quickly. So, for convenience sake, and, they're just going to save And they execute him. the firefight very it's, you know, suddenly. It, yeah. Not just the characters, but the show does too. So it's kind of happens a little bit out of nowhere and it's over before you know it to a certain degree. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, they rescue him. It's, it's I also love how they they finally feel rich after that big score and now all their money's gone. That feels like a constant thing that's happening. It's something <laughs> very much by design. Yeah, that does happen more than once, I think. Um, they like get a score and then it's stolen from them or they have to use it to pay for something and they're left with nothing. So, 
I mean, there's some very funny Jane moments as well. Uh, him talking about, you know, I'll, I'll be in my bunk when he notices that Anara's client is a woman. Wanting to get a closer look at Mal's severed ear. Taking Wash's soup at the end. But taking the soup, right. So after all of this, Wash and Zoe feel very bonded. And Zoe brings him soup. And everything's good. And Mal and Zoe tease him by, like, belaboring this sort of artificial we-must-have-sex to kill our sexual tension. Uh, but has anything really been resolved here? Because, I mean, Wash's fear that he confesses to Mal is that Mal is the kind of the one that got away for Zoe. Like, that she never actually got to make good on any feelings she may or may not have for him. And it's like, yeah, we all survived this. But you're saying that you two shout at each other a lot and clearly there's some sort of... I don't know, it just feels like an unearned sort of resolution. Like, they're just like, well, everything's happy again. And I wonder, like, did we actually... Did Wash, like, hear any words that would actually realistically put his his mind at ease? Zoe saving him instantaneously, maybe. Maybe, but if that's all it took, that dude is... <laughs> I don't know. It just that's it's just one thing where I thought it needed another line here or there to kind of dis- arrive at this this ending more naturally. But it just kind of seemed like, well, we survived a traumatic thing, so everything's fine now. But I'm I'm nitpicking because I'm a big fan of this episode. I think it's it's pretty tight. It's very actiony, and we learn some good stuff, and everybody gets to play really, which is not as frequent an occurrence as you'd like, but they are trying to juggle nine characters, plus if I have a guest or two that episode. So, yeah, I I like this one overall. Jane's funny. Mal's Mal. Zoe and Wash do some stuff. River finally makes good. Book has some, some big stuff. Simon continues to be a good actor. Kaylee kind of gets the short end of the stick. Anara gets, gets to a big have moment a... at the end. Yes, true. With River. That's true. Um, and Anara gets to titillate teenage boys by entertaining a female client. So, oh, and she's concerned for Mal when he's captured, of course. She has a very powerful role. Uh, Josh Whedon is a feminist. <laughs> this is true. Right, well, let us move on. Let's talk about trash. And I'm not talking about me and you. I'm talking about the name of our next episode, episode 11, uh, which aired second to last. Well, no, it didn't air. <laughs> These are one of the ones... Uh, that did not actually make a... So, Bold New Territory, if you bought this on DVD. Well, I, didn't they, like... I don't know, did they air them? But, like, later... I don't think so. I mean, it's literally unaired. I mean, okay. that's what it says on the back of the DVD. Oh, okay. Like, they aired Serenity. Yeah. But not... Okay, sorry, yeah. Alright, so, unaired. So, brave new content, if uh, if you bought the show on DVD or watched it on Netflix or whatever. Uh, written by Ben Edlund and Jose Molina... Directed by Vern Gillum. So in this one, I said how this is two. Ep- these are two episodes uh, where we have the return of guest characters, and Mike name dropped her earlier. Saffron is back. Christina Hendricks. Uh, so Mal is attempting to sell yet more of this medicine that they they got uh, back in Ariel, and uh, the guy he's trying to sell it to, an old friend of his, introduces Mal to his new wife, and it is Saffron, or as she's called now, Bridget. And uh, Mal and her start fighting, literally, each other uh, to the point that the new husband is sick of it and leaves them both behind. So Mal is without any money. Saffron is without whatever con she was running on him. So she 
uh, attempts to convince Mal to help her out with some huge money con of some kind. Very clearly not to be trusted. Uh, and after Mal has like a fight with Anara, he takes her up on the offer, and they uh, do a big heist to steal an antique gun from a wealthy man on Persephone, where we've been before. And uh, they're caught in the act by another person that Saffron is married to. And uh, I, we believe her real name is Yolanda, based on what happens. After a lot of back and forth and sort of arguing about true feelings and motivations, uh, they get away with the gun. She gets the drop on Mal, steals everything, leaves him naked in the desert. Uh, but luckily, Anara outsmarted her and uh, she gets the pistol and locks Saffron up to be picked up by authorities. Uh, it turns out it was like a plan that Mal and Anara had all along and Mal marches naked back onto the ship triumphantly. I'm not a huge fan of this one, personally. Don't know how you feel about it, but I, I don't massively care for it. I think it is an extremely fun episode. It is, I think we've proven at this point that the, the caper story is something that Firefly is very well suited for mm-hmm. uh, with its wide cast of characters, with its witty repartee, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I think what's interesting to me about this episode is that it's really a saffron episode. It is not, yeah. uh, this is not, a, there's not a lot of character work for anyone else. No. It's because kind of especially crazy. Si- <laughs> yeah, especially since Mal and Inara, while they have a one genuine conversation at the beginning of the episode, are basically putting out a front for the rest of the episode. So anything they really talk about or say is really just kind of can be easily discarded. Uh, I think, I guess the other only other big thing is Simon in this episode. Mm-hmm. He basically gets Jane underneath his knife. River figured out through her mind powers that... Uh, <laughs> You know, Jane portrayed him on Ariel, and Simon says, as long as we are in this crew together, you never have to worry about me doing anything to you. And, you know, that is a good, like, C plot in the background kind of thing, kind of fills up the episode well. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good bit of continuity as well. Uh, yes. And it uh, feels very true, Simon, as he said. Like, Sean Maurer might be giving one of the, you know, three or four best performances on the show in a lot of ways, especially when you talk about the degree of difficulty with how normal he is next to all these colorful characters. But uh, I think it's another, it's a really fun monster of the week story kind of thing for them, where it's like, all right, we need an adventure for them this week. What could we do? Sure, they steal a laser gun, and they mess around with saffron for a bit uh i think it's oddly though i do think it's a great way to continue the saffron story which is to kind of give her to repeat a lot of the ideas we saw in the first one but to give her a little bit more depth at the same time Mm -hmm. and now we know who she like really is and everything to a certain degree well now we know more about her (laughs) we know more about her her true Um, nature and to the point that i think one uh powerful idea is that I, I think she's someone who's come to terms with the fact of what she's good at and how she can make her way in the burst, so to speak. But, you know, a part of her would like to, you know, not always be running, uh, not always be lying, not always be swindling, not always be cheating, just simply because it's, you know, it goes against human nature for the most part. There are very few people that are just wholly committed to that as like an ideology. So I thought that was kind of nice. The way they chose to execute that is kind of weird. It's but it's it's hard. It's also hard to tell. We never really get to know this new husband 
uh, the new rich husband well enough to make a real judgment about him and thus to understand and assess, you know, Saffron's stated attachment for not him so much, but the life that uh, he represented. So I think that's kind of, you know, like there's still a lot more. It, it basically, it's like they kind of like inch the Saffron story forward in this episode. That's basically all that it is. And when you only have 14 episodes of a show, doing that with a guest star that will only have appeared once before and will never appear once again seems kind of weird. Or I guess unfortunate is more the thing. But one, I think they do it well, and I think the episode is fun as heck surrounding it anyway. Mm. I mean, I like a good heist, as I said last time uh, with Ariel. So like seeing them like put together this plan and you know the, the many-layered workings of it and the disguises and all that, that's all good, great fun. But, I don't know, I'm going to have to slightly disagree. It feels to me like, and I don't know how true this is because, I mean, presumably you'd have to have all this stuff ready before you shoot. So this can't actually be true. But it feels like Christina Hendricks came in, knocked out of the park in what was supposed to be a one-off appearance. So they were like, we need to write another episode for her. And then they got her back. And, I mean, that, that can't be true. They must have written them all, or had at least, like, them all the plots like laid out before they started shooting but yeah to me it i don't know you do get some interesting stuff with her and like she it's a great character and she's she's really good at playing it like just oozing charisma all the time like sticking her tongue out when mal's like shooting at the ground and stuff and just sort of owning her sexuality and like like flaunting her looks and like how she'll get what she wants all the time and like it's fun seeing her be the empowered Saffron the whole time. Like it was fun last time because she went from one extreme to the other. This time, them all knowing exactly what she is, but them all working together, so she's not a threat, but she is this sort of, you know, nefarious character. It gives it another layer, and like she, it's fun. Just I don't know. There's something lacking for me. Like a little bit of punch is not quite there, and maybe it's because we're we're devoting so much time to a character that isn't part of the main cast. I don't know. And I think that's I think that's it, and I think that's a, a very valid claim. I think, you know, Saffron was set up once again. I would say for like probably four or five more big episodes over the course of say three seasons, where you know she probably tries to be a little bit more less of a bad person, probably has to die for her sins, kind of thing. Mm, feminist. Um, yes. Uh, you know, like, and while all that would be the subject of much valid discussion and uh, concern, it probably would have made for very good TV and probably would have made episodes like this mean more in retrospect. Yeah, Yeah, like in a world where this show goes three, four seasons, whatever, it probably doesn't bother me at all and I probably would think better of it, but knowing that we have so little time to spend in this universe and like... Especially so so little time left. Exactly. Like, this episode, this was instead of Shindig, you know, in that spot, (laughs) you know, I... I don't know, maybe this is not a concern for you, possibly. But Shindig um, contributes to Mal and Anara. Sure. I know you don't like it, but... I, okay, safe. Safe sucks. <laughs> so with Saffron, like, the big thing, the meat of this is this discovery that she has this this another husband, uh, Duran, I think his name is, who is an incredibly rich man. And, you know, it's very funny, like, there are three different characters in this episode that are married to her, and Mal has the genuinely amazing line of uh you know she says he's my husband and he says well who in the galaxy ain't 
but he he makes this he does his detective work during this because she she immediately flings herself at him and it turns out she's been like missing uh and he he's been worried sick about her and you know he leaves the room quickly and she immediately drops and is like right we need to hurry up and Mal does his detective work and he asserts that this is like the true husband like the first one maybe and this is the one that this may be the only man whose opinion she cares about and that idea like it holds weight and then it doesn't and then it does and then it doesn't and i actually couldn't tell you how true that is because there's there's evidence for both sides like you could very easily see it as she married this man maybe for his money i don't know was bored of the safe lifestyle and then set out to go be a more sort of dangerous person doing crazier stuff or she could genuinely i don't know i don't know what is your read on on her feelings for duran i think it is unclear and i think it is something that needed further exploration i think this episode would carry more meaning in time with more exploration of uh saffron as it stands if you want to call it wishy-washy or almost like a poorly executed in that way Hmm. i wouldn't get in the way of someone claiming that just based on the fact that this is supposed to be a pretty powerful moment and it is a middle chapter in a story that is never going to be concluded once again Hmm. because like i mean when mal is saying all of this she kind of is her response indicates a little bit that like what he's saying is true and then you have stuff like when he start when the husband starts to look at her with sort of shame or whatever, she points a gun at him and starts screaming. And also she kind of... It seems like she's kind of lashing out in an attempt to hurt him by saying things to the effect of, oh, I obviously don't love you, you're an idiot, etc. And you could easily read it as just, like, her overreacting to, like, Mal prodding at her about this. But then she also does genuinely... She seems to have literally no qualms about just, like, leaving him behind again and robbing him and... Like potentially hurting him, etc. So, I don't know. And, like, Mal and, and her have like this big, what he thinks is a heart-to-heart, and he says things like, I've I've seen you with no clothes on, but I never thought I'd see you naked, and all this, where they have these sort of... He thinks he's gotten through to this sort of genuine human moment with her. I don't know. I, I I'm... You know, I, I literally just watched it, and I, I couldn't tell you... And maybe that's, not, maybe that's the whole point. Like, you will never know who Saffron really is, is Yolanda her name, is that the first husband, does she love this man? That's, I guess that's the point of the entire character. <laughs> I, I think it's a, what we kind of have to accept as the entire point of the character, mm. just based on the fact that there's nothing else. Yeah. So, I do like that she comes out ahead of Mal, like she, she gets the drop on him and leaves him naked in the desert. I know Anara ends up but no, it was the backup plan. Like that was not by exactly in the in the ideal world, Mal was not naked in the desert, and Anara <laughs> had to not. save him. So let's talk about that, like because I mean that's kind of one of the only three things that happen in this episode. Uh, so Mal and Anara have quite an argument at the beginning, wherein she accuses Mal of depriving her of work, and I mean he starts to join some dots that she's suggesting that he doesn't approve of what she does. Or potentially that because he wants her for himself, who knows? Uh, that he's deliberately not get, letting her go to places where there's viable sort of clients for her. And I mean, we don't know if that's true or not because we haven't seen what's going on or, or whatever. But they they have quite a fight about it. And she calls him a petty thief 
and you know they both seem to look down on what the other does you know he's very much like i'm comfortable with what i do and you know suggesting you shouldn't be comfortable with what you do and then just like this whole thing is sort of born out of a need to impress her sort of rising to the unintentional challenge of she makes a comment about when's the last time you had serious work uh, like they they stole some dolls or something and I'd say the the hospital job was was a pretty good get. Like they robbed a massive like alliance facility and got a lot of valuable stuff. But anyway, I don't know. It's all very. It's all very. I, I don't. I don't know. Like it. It. It does contribute, but given how much they play this card, it is kind of getting. It's getting a little tiresome for me. Them doing this. Yeah, and. uh you know, kind of Anara's complaint kind of feels out of nowhere in the context of the show. I mean, like, obviously, like, you know, I think they mentioned that, you know, they definitely mentioned this episode that, you know, this, the original Saffron episode happened six months epi- earlier in the co- in the actual show's time. Yes. So, obviously, like, a lot of things happen between the episodes, which explains why they're not all, you know, badly dead from all these bullet wounds they're all getting all the time. I mean, so it's possible, but it doesn't really feel like a moment earned. It kind of feels like artificial conflict based on the fact that we don't actually get to see it. We only have to hear about it. But uh, I know what's interesting. You know what I don't like is Anar calls him a petty thief. Mm. And Mal takes that hard. And Anara is kind of portrayed to be being rude for saying that and kind of has to like make up for there in that moment, so to speak. Whereas he calls her a whore all the time, all the time. <laughs> and the show wants us to think he's a, he's a dumbass for it, but it's, it's notable the difference in how they want us and how they make Anara respond to that. And, you know, when the fo- again, when the focus is on Mal all the time, as the show really is for the most part, it gets closer to that favorite word of ours, problematic. Yes. Um, <laughs> or probably more just less than ideal mm. in the grand scheme of things. But uh, it is, once again, I hate to keep, I feel like I've said this a million times in this uh, in this episode, but this was a brief detour, a brief middle chapter in an arc that we never got to see properly close. Yeah. So it is hard to judge it without knowing where it goes, but in its own bubble, it's a little less than ideal. Yeah. Well, I think that's fitting, given what we said at the beginning, where these are two episodes where it feels like they've hit their stride, like they're, they're firing on all cylinders, they're in the middle. So it makes sense that a lot of it would feel kind of like it never paid off, because, you know, it, it was meant to. Like, you forgive the early ones, they're setting everything up, and we do get kind of some resolutions from uh, the the finale and the and the film, but these these episodes were intended to serve a larger purpose, and they don't get to. So we are going to get those those issues with them, uh, regardless of how fun they are, as in in like in a bubble. So yeah, difficult. River says funny stuff. She says she can kill him with. She says she can kill Jane with her brain, and that's good. And she calls and also, Jane out on being called Jane. <laughs> I I also think it's wonderful. Uh, so like the way the episode shot is, it goes from revealing Saf- uh, Mal brought Saffron aboard yes. to Saffron running down the the plot essentially, and and Wash is just has this incredulous look on his face like. And you think it's about to be, oh, this plan's impossible. But he goes exactly what he should have done, which is, why are you here? 
Why? Why is this woman on our ship? Do you remember she, what happened? Does anyone not remember what happened? And that's uh, that's a lovely stuff. That's a lovely moment. And perfect yeah, wash. Definitely. Perfect wash. So, I think that will do it for these two. Not not as good of a one-two punch as last week. No. But, but uh, yeah, good. Two episodes I really enjoy. I like War Stories a I, lot more than I like uh, Trash. War Stories but... is definitely better. War Stories is definitely in the actual top half, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I think you've sold me on Trash can't be in the top half. Um, There's nothing wrong but, with uh, it. Like, the whole sh- I like almost... I would say I like all the episodes. Just, you know, they can't all well, be winners. I, yes. Um, <laughs> every episode has something to like, although exactly. that will be tested next week. Yes, it will. But... I, you know, I trash does not have quite as much substance as War Stories, Ariel, Out of Gas, Our Mrs. Reynolds, uh, Serenity, The Train Job, and I would say Janestown as well. So that kind of bumps down to the not top half. Mm, indeed. But speaking of trash, speaking of next week, next week we will be talking about uh, The Message, which I'm guessing is actually your favorite episode by doing the maths of. Uh, you not you refusing to reveal what you think your favorite episode is, and you sort of hinting that it's not one I have, I have named uh, so far. You don't have I to confirm decided, that. I decided weeks ago to wait till the very end of this podcast experience to reveal, okay. or at least until the end of the last episode. Okay, I'm not looking for you to confirm. I'm just sort of playing detective out loud as yeah. as a sealed envelope, as it were. But it's not really sealed because you can just respond. Uh, so the message and heart of gold. Um, I hope I find things to like in Heart and Gold. Mm-hmm. I just like remember disliking it. From memory, but, it's um, my by far least favorite episode. Yes, same. So um, we'll see how that plays. I think out. In that I think in that sense, though, it's almost in some ways more interesting to yeah. examine it this time. So I think we should really challenge ourselves to explain why. Okay, if nothing else, we each have to bring one thing we like about the episode. And no, then a no. grown-up have... argument as to why it fucking sucks. <laughs> Alright. <laughs> that seems the grown-up Until up next week. Exactly. Until next week. We'll be doing our homework. You guys subscribe and all of that. And enjoy your lives. Goodbye. I can be Since I found serenity You can't take the sky from me